Good morning. Feels dim in here. I don't want to turn the lights up a little bit. Let's we'll bring some light into the room. That would be awesome. Uh, man, you guys, I was working through illustrations. We're, Thanksgiving's coming. Uh, how many of you are thankful? Uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank yes. Very, very grateful, very thankful. Um, it's interesting, this morning we're, we're going to be, one of the, th- uh, the things that is so cool and so fun for me in preaching is when the text, not by design of my own, but by God's, just how he works out the process, that the basic premise of the text lines right up with what we're doing in the holiday season. And I think this morning we're going to see an attitude of gratefulness, we're going to see this idea of, of thankfulness and, and wonderment in who God is. Obviously, there was a Paul guy at this last week, this week, wasn't there? We had a memorial service yesterday for, uh, I, I actually wasn't here, but um, many of you were for a dear saint that had been at this church for many, many years. Um, and I just want to communicate my gratitude for those of you that served and cared for um, that family. I, I know that there was a great number of people working hard and uh, did a bunch of work here especially without having water available. What an incredible extra challenge, right? But in the idea of gratefulness and, and thankfulness, we're going we're gonna to be looking at uh, the passage in Mark today, chapter 7. And I was thinking through this process of, of a time in my life where I wasn't very grateful. Now, I, I'm going to go back just a few years. Um, I remember this, this specific moment because um, my family, uh, we, we were poor farmers. My dad worked in, uh, at a dairy. I, I think he may have been at the dairy that time, may have been the rock pit, I don't remember. Um, but eating out was a real luxury. It was super, super rare that we would get to go out to dinner. And I remember this one particular time, we were pretty young kids, and we were going to McDonald's. Now, for those of, I mean, let's just admit it, McDonald's is the low end, sorry McDonald's, you're the low end of the fast food pole, um, but it's just the reality of life, right? But at that time, for, for us, it was a big deal, it was a huge, huge deal that we were going out to McDonald's, and we were going to get to eat a cheeseburger, or I can't even, really, I think it was a cheeseburger. The reason it's so profound for me is I remember being very upset I didn't like it. There was something about the hamburger, and, and my, it, was, it was a profound moment because my mom and dad were fairly frustrated with me as a child because I'm crying about my fast food restaurant meal, and I'm, I'm unhappy, and, uh, and th- that shouldn't be the case, right? We rarely get to go out. It's a special treat. We're going out, and I'm sitting at the 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 the, the place there with my food in front of me, and I'm upset, and it's leading to tears, and I ended up throwing away most of that hamburger. Isn't that incredible? It's even, it's hard to fathom now. I mean, after looking at all the history of eating McDonald's foods, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, Maybe I was a lot healthier minded back then. But that idea of being unhappy, I don't know how many of you get up and, and uh, go about your life during the middle of the week, uh, even now, and you, you're getting on the, we'll just use the freeway, it's a safe place, but you're getting on the road and nobody's done anything wrong to you, you haven't had any problems, but you're just not happy. You're just frustrated with life. 
I don't know how many of you experience that. I do that from time to time, and I, I look at my life, and I think there's, I have nothing to be ungrateful for. And yet that is often a condition. And I wonder if at times in our Christian lives, um, we experience some of those same kind of frustrations and lack of gratitude. Uh, I hope today that as we wrestle through this passage and this process, I hope that it does for you what it did for me this week and bring a real perspective on the grandness of the gift of God that we have. Here, this Gentile woman is grateful for the leftovers of Jesus. Grateful for the leftovers of Jesus. I, I don't know if we think very often about it this way, but I'm, I'm hoping it's an encouragement to you. Would you open your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 7 this morning? If you're already there, we're starting in verse 24 through 30. And I'm just going to, I'm going to tell you right up front, I'm going to screw up uh, th this woman's birth place. Uh, I have been trying to get this word right, and I probably won't. So you guys just, when you hit there, just read it in your own heads, whatever you think it is. And then we'll ask Tyler later if we got it close. Or anybody else that knows how to say that properly. Verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a sufficient. Uh, uh, see, and I, I was going to try and do that. I had it all in my head how we were just going to roll right through that. Yeah, you guys got it. All right. She was some from Sire, uh, for, from uh, Sophician. Anyway, by birth, we're going, we're going on. It's that woman. She's a Gentile. And she begged him to cast the demons out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. You know, I, I, I try to be uh, casual, especially when it comes to my inability to, to come up with some of these words from time to time. Um, it sounds way better in my head. You know, when you're reading it to yourself, you can just roll right through there and, and it just it flows right off the mind. But those don't always connect for me via, via the tongue. Um, but the point is, and, and we'll see that here shortly, that, um, that she was a Gentile. And, and there's a specific thing that happens in this process. One of the first things, though, if we're going to stay true to the story, what is Jesus trying to do? He's got his disciples. The ministry is taken off. They're busy. There's all kinds of life happening around them. He's hugely successful. I mean, he, he is the prophet of all prophets. He is, he's rocking the known world at that time. What is he trying to do with his disciples? He's trying to find some rest. He's trying to get away and get some downtime and, and, and take that space and, and recuperate from all the things that are going on. And it says he did not want anyone to know. That he was there. Even, even Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, was trying to find a break and to take some downtime and, and to get away. 
I think it's important for us to not lose sight of that truth, especially as we come into the holiday season, right? Some of you need to point your fingers right at yourselves, and you need to say, I need to slow down, right? We need to. We need to be careful with that. Even Jesus is trying to take a break. The ministry, if you will, his business, the thing that he was doing daily was beginning to draw on him. And it's important that we recognize those things. Um, the amazing part, and this is one of those points of the story, um, where we are reminded of the significance of the need in that town, in that time, in that place. Jesus shows up on scene and he begins to meet their physical needs and he begins to, to deal with spiritual things that they were, up to this point, were not being dealt with by the religious organization, by, by their relationship with God at that time. And Jesus begins to meet those needs and the people are responding to it. And so Jesus cannot hide. He, he cannot be hidden away. And, and everybody in the region knows that he's there, and they're coming to find him again. And it's in this moment, it's in this movement of people. I'm, I'm, she probably wasn't the only Gentile, but my guess is that she was not a primary person in the story. In fact, it's interesting, don't you think? Out of all the miraculous things that we've seen so far in Jesus' stories, we've never actually had anybody specifically identified by their birth or by their nationality. The, the woman that had the, the, the disease or the suffering for many, many years, we knew how long she'd been suffering, we knew what she was suffering from, but we didn't really have any details about where she was born. When you look at the demoniac and, and all the other people that have shown up, there was nothing specific referenced about who they were nationally. But with this woman, it is mentioned. And Jesus responds to that. Who is this woman? It, she's a Gentile. She's, um, she is a woman that is in need, the same as those around her, but she's not a Jew. And so she shows up. She's in this group of people that are, that are thronging to Jesus. And I think it's interesting that she probably didn't have in her mind uh, the, 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 the regulations or the boundaries that should have maintained there because of her love for her daughter, her concern for her daughter. She probably just disregarded those things and pushed through possibly even the public scorn of people around going after Jesus to talk to her, uh, to talk to him about her daughter. So she is a woman that has a daughter with an unclean spirit. She is a Gentile. She specifically doesn't belong to the Jewish tradition, Jewish heritage. And, and again, unique that this, is, that this is mentioned. And Jesus responds to her in a specific way, right? Yes, the, the answer is yes. You guys read the text with me. A head nod would let me know that you're here. You know, I tell my boys I can't hear your head rattle when I ask them a question and they like shake their head. One, I'm like, I, I can't hear that. But with you, I can see all of you. So a head nod, I, I, can, I can work with that. Did, did it bother you how he responded to her at all? Thank you. Because you're reading that, you're like, what the deal? We, we all kind of know because we've read the end of the story. We know what's coming. We, we see the big picture. This is for everyone. But as you're reading that story, there's gotta, there should be part of us. We're like, huh, Jesus, is that okay? Man, maybe I could use that for so-and-so. 
not true. What was he thinking when he responded that way? With his response, and this is this is where I believe we're going to begin to see um, a little bit more of the intentionality in who Jesus is, a little bit more of his heart, and it's a beautiful and incredible thing. The, the two things that came to my mind as I was thinking, what was Jesus thinking in his, in his response, is one, was he testing the woman? Was he testing her faith? It's possible that that's what he was doing, Right? He was trying to see if she if she really believed in him or was she just there, you know, uh, coming along in the bandwagon? Was she just looking for a physical uh, healing or a blessing, something along that line? And so when he asks the question, he says to her in verse 27, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He basically called her a dog. We wouldn't do that in this culture. Well, we wouldn't. Right? 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 Okay. We would use other words like Democrat or, I mean, that's honoring to God. We, none of us would speak like that, would we? You see the cultural way he stepped into this moment with her? He went right to cultural issues. He, he jumped right into the, to the mess of their culture. I would be willing to, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure that that was the cultural view of the Jews of Gentiles. They wouldn't interact with them. They would actually wash themselves. If they'd interacted with them at the market, they would come home and do a ceremonial cleansing to make sure that they'd gotten all of the ick off of them. The woman could have taken offense to that. He could have been testing her heart. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 19. Jesus does this. When he's dealing with people, there's times that he specifically tailors a question or engages them around particular questions or requests of him to address a heart issue that they have, to, to go after them individually in a specific setting. We have the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19. And we see the story he asks Jesus, uh, he wants to know how he inherits eternal life, and Jesus walks through the process with him. And we pick up the story down in verse 21 when Jesus is responding to his, the rich young ruler's response to Jesus about inheriting the kingdom. And the rich young ruler, remember what he said, I've kept all of these laws from my youth. I have all of this stuff done, and I've done it well, and you, are, you should be grateful to have me. Okay, that's my version. He didn't add that. But look at what he says in verse 21. Matthew chapter 19, verse 21. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus was specifically dealing with him on an issue of his heart. Right? And he talked to him about the law, and the kid said, man, I'm great on that area. And Jesus specifically went after a spot in his heart, and the, the young ruler turned and walked away. Is it possible that when Jesus is dealing with this Gentile woman, that he's specifically going after an issue that she's dealing with, a cultural issue, a, a personal issue? And so he engages her in a way that for most of us would be offensive. 
For most of us, we would not respond very well to that. The other thought that I had is, was, and we'll, we'll, get, we'll finish this thought in a minute, because we're going to look at her response here shortly. But the other thought I had is, was he testing his disciples? Was he instructing and training them? Because imagine, if they're arguing, when he shares with them that he's going to die on the cross and be raised again, that that's how he's going to die, the three times that he shares that with them, as we're going to see over the next few uh, months in Mark, you're going to actually see them argue about who's the greatest in the kingdom, right? We know that these guys are goofballs. They're focused on themselves at times. They're focused on the wrong things. Is it possible that Jesus is particularly going after a cultural issue, a a political issue, or a, a social issue that the disciples themselves are struggling with? What if in their own hearts they were thinking, man, what is this dog doing here asking for stuff from Jesus? Is it possible that they saw her this way? And so Jesus crafts his question to engage that issue, to engage that process, to test or train or develop and teach them. We know from James that God is especially good at using difficult things, trials and all that stuff to produce character in us, right? James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. The text says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Isn't that a great training program? (sighs) You know, the reality is it's the best one, but it's not the one I wish I was good at. I wish I was good at, hey, Jesus said, don't do that. Okay, I'm just not going to do that. Wouldn't that be cool? And yet, it's very clear that God has, in a relationship with us, identified the best training program that we could possibly come up with. And it's various trials. And he says that we should count it all joy because the result of that process the result of that is that we're complete and mature so here's what i think jesus was thinking is that he was testing and training both groups i think he was teaching his disciples i think he was challenging those who are following him saying you guys have this all wrong you've got the the, this picture is completely wrong you're missing the point and with the woman, I think he was even testing and challenging her to say, what, what's your view of this? Where's your faith really at? Do you believe correctly? Now, here's a question. Do you and I experience testing in our lives? We do, right? Uh, in fact, I think, I think if we look at 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 3 through 7, Peter gives us an inclination of what's happening 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, 
If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that, is per that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Even Peter recognizes that the value of tested faith is greater than that of the values of gold, one of the great commodities that they had that was refined by fire, the impurities were removed from it, which that entire process is an incredible illustration of how God takes our faith from where we begin and changes it, transforms it into a faith that's more pure and, and more mature as we age. Have you ever noticed that? You, you watch your kids pray. My boys, one of the greatest prayer uh, that we, we got to watch God answer was we were buying this house. It was out in Yakult. Uh, my bride and I, I was a youth pastor at the time, and uh, she was working part-time. And we, we, were, we were in that mode that they, what did they call us? Like, we, we, had, we were at a poverty level. Like, we, 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 met, we made a certain poverty level, so we got some great discounts and benefits. And we were able to go after this house. And it was our first house that we were purchasing, so there was all kinds of really cool stuff. And we're... we're we're going in, and my boys, as we're showing them the house, things were starting to move. The boys, their prayer request for the Lord wasn't that we would get it. It, it wasn't that, that, you know, any of the stuff mom and I were worried about. The boys' prayer was, and this is how they said it. They, the, they said, Lord, thank you for the swimming pool at our new house. There was no swimming pool at our new house. We're like... Uh, man, can we at least hit something that we can answer? <laughs> you know, the little kitty wading pools weren't qual didn't qualify as swimming pools to them anymore. They were a little bit taller. But their view, their idea of God providing was, was pretty, it was extravagant. It was outside of our capacity to do. Now, here's how, the, and the reason I share this with the cool part was, as we were finishing up our, uh, our, um, looking at the house the couple goes oh you know we forgot about this one thing we have this we have this thing in the in the shed this old pool you guys can keep that if you want you can have it so we had a pool for one summer turns out two by fours being thrown around in the pool don't don't help the plastic sides very long <laughs> i have no idea i don't know what they were playing but somehow we punctured the sides of the pool anyway but the point being God answered that, that prayer. What, and, and when you look at that childlike faith, you say to yourself, wow, that's crazy. Who prays that way? Well, children do. Children do. But as our, as our faith matures, we begin to pray for other things, right? As we grow in experience and as we experience testing and difficulties, we begin to pray for other things. We get, begin to see things differently, and we begin to see God differently. God becomes a God that we take pain and difficulty and worship to, not just whether there's a pool at the house or not. You see, you see how we grow in that? And, and when we think about this training process that God has us on, when we wrestle with the reality of, of these truths of testing and the maturity that comes from us, as we experience testing, we grow in maturity, right? And that was James chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. If we pick up back there, and we'll read just another verse there. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, 
uh, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. There's more, and you can continue to read in there. But the point is, is that as we experience testing, as we experience the, these various trials and the, the challenges that we face in our life, God uses them to develop maturity and completeness in our lives. He grows us in our faith. And here I believe with this woman and with his disciples, he, the Gentile woman, he's doing the same exact thing and he asks questions of them. He asks a specific question of her that gave her every right to walk away. In fact, I think there's times where God may respond to us with a question to help our maturity and we get angry with him. Or we get frustrated with him. I didn't sign up for this, Lord. I just bas- bypassed on a thought that came through my head. Yeah, that might not have been the Lord's. So how did she respond? How did this woman respond? Isn't it one of the most beautiful pictures of faith that you see? I, I think that we see in a lot of in, in all of Scripture, in my opinion. It's just it's an incredible response. What does she say? Verse 28, she says this, but she answered him, Yes, Lord. You're right. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. She responded with faith. She responded with faith. And it's an incredible response. Because she didn't have, I mean, to my knowledge, I don't know what religious background she has, what training or development she would have had in that in her time, what teaching she would have had about who God is, who Jesus is. She's watching what's going on. She's hearing about these things that are happening. But what an incredible response. So the, cha- the challenge, I think, the, the thing that I wrestle with in my own heart is, do I, is that my response of faith? Let's look at this idea of faith for just a second. I've got a couple of passages. I just want us to wrestle with what this looks like. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The text says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and now rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Did you see what faith does in that moment? Faith causes us to rejoice in hope in our sufferings, knowing the result of our suffering with a holy God leads to character and maturity and ultimately hope that does not put us to shame because of God's love, which is given to us through the Holy Spirit in Jesus Christ. Isn't that a gorgeous picture? What an amazing truth that that is. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. The text says this, And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever, oops, two pages, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those 
who seek him. Faith is an incredibly important part of our walk with God, and yet, and, and so in that process, as we face trials, as we experience difficulties in life, we know who God is. We see, well, we, it, we're, it's helping us to know who he is, right? It's the process of growing our knowledge in him and, and discovering more of who he is. We see these things and, and we find joy and we find hope. I love this part of, of Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to uh, read verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 12. But for just a second, we've got to think about this. It says in verse 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, uh, the, who are the witnesses that he's talking about? Well, if you go back and you read previous to that in Hebrews, especially through chapter 11, the, the, the heroes of the faith, you have all of these people that by faith did phenomenal things. And the encouraging side to me is when you go back and you read their stories, you're like, uh, man, Abraham kind of blew it, right? Yes, Abraham blew it. And yet his faith was accounted to him as righteousness. Wow. He grew in his faith. He was probably an unhappy kid at McDonald's when he started out. Quite possibly. He may have thanked God for a pool at one of his new houses in Egypt. But as he finished his life, he stood at the top of a mountain, believing that God could show up and redeem his promised son. That's faith. It didn't start out that way. But did you see what God did? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us to think about one thing. We should recognize what the joy of Christ was in that moment. And I want to challenge you, it, it wasn't you and me. The joy that he experienced, the joy that drove him to the cross, was his desire and, and obedience to the will of the Father. Right? We know he stood at Gethsemane and he said, Lord, if there's any other way, take this cup. But not my will, but yours be done. In the, at the pinnacle of his, of his human life, he turned from his, even the desire that he wanted to avoid in the physical area, and he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. And he surrendered to the will of the Father. Now I'm going to, I'm going to, you guys, we are, we benefit from this. We are, we are, the affection of God is, is, uh, you know, poured out on his people. All of those things are true. But when you think about the joy that took Jesus to the cross, it was the obedience to the will of his Father. When we think about us following in Christ's footsteps, that is, that is what should motivate us to live in obedience. It's this relationship to God the Father. It's to follow and to fulfill the weight, the race that's been set before us with endurance. What does endurance imply? Not going to be easy, right? You don't need endurance. 
if you're not doing anything. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think the most amazing part of this whole uh, text for me this week as I was wrestling with with being a child of God, how Jesus uses difficult things and, and how he grows our faith. And then to be challenged by this woman's response to Jesus, the, the idea that, that when she says, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I, what grabbed me is that in her perspective, God healing or casting out this demon was merely the crumbs from the table of what the Jews had in the presence of their Messiah, in the gift of the Lamb. Have you ever thought about the things that God's doing in our lives as being just the crumbs, the leftovers? Have you ever worshipped God because the the small stuff that He does for us is is so... it's, It's so insignificant... In comparison to the grandeur of who he is, I'm not saying it's insignificant to you and me, and I'm not saying that his love is somehow devalued because he engages with us in the small stuff. But when we come to the worship of God, a God who speaks stars into existence, when we begin to engage that God and we are struggling with the small things, the, the momentary physical things of this earth, the things that are vapor and just here for a moment, and he interacts with us, do we understand and do we recognize the posture of worship that says, God, clearly this is very insignificant in the scope of who you are. In the grandeur of the scheme of life, healing this young girl from demon possession, according to this mom, is saying, even the crumbs are worth it. I'll I'll take whatever you got. I'll take the leftovers, Jesus. Because that's better than what I got now. I think we could learn something about worship from this. I think we could learn something about gratitude and thanksgiving from her response to what could have been an offensive statement. In reality, most of the troubles that I have may not even even register as crumbs in the spiritual need of the kingdom work of God. Do we worship him? Are we thankful accordingly? I've never thought of what God gives me as being the leftovers. In fact, I would challenge us as American Christians to be very careful not to think that we're somehow the called children of God. I, I think sometimes as American Christians, we tend to think that, you know, the whole, the whole workup of the Old Testament, New Testament was all to get to the United States church. And I don't want to burst your bubble. But we haven't been around all that long, and God's been doing some pretty spectacular stuff before us, and he's going to keep doing spectacular stuff in spite of us and after us. This is about God. 
This is about faith in a holy God who's doing more and doing substantially more than just fixing a physical need at that point. God was not just meeting their physical needs. He was preparing to meet their eternal spiritual needs. So often our worship, our condition of our heart is based on who we think God is, who we see God is as, and then who, where we fall in whatever continuum of value that we put on that, right? So we'll just for example, if we take our children and you're sitting at the ice cream container and you think in your mind that the volume of ice cream that's available there leaves you with four scoops and them with two, how does that place us on the scale, right? means dad's up here, whichever one it was, and they're down here, right? Now, I, I'm good at this, so I can make it a health thing. You know, they, it's not healthy for them to have all that ice cream. But you guys, sometimes when we look at our spiritual lives, yeah, we have God up on a pedestal. We do. We know he's up there. But man, where do we fall? Where, where are we at in that, in that distance? When we start looking at other people in our culture, in our world, how far do we place ourselves above them? Spiritually, of course, let's just, we're not, we're not egotistical or anything. This is spiritually speaking. Where do we put ourselves in that continuum? I'm beginning to think that the closer I think I am to God, the less I think of him. Harder it is to worship something that I feel equal to. And if we understand who God is, if we see him properly, I think this woman's response is probably more accurate. Not because the Jews were so much better than her, but because she recognized how significantly better God was and who Jesus was than her. How is our worship contained how are we how do we present ourselves before the lord this week as we go into a thanksgiving weekend let's just be honest if y'all are having your family over you're going to have opportunities for growth right there's going to be opportunities for every one of our family units to experience great blessing and heartache is what happens when families get together. Would you guys do with me what I want to try and do this week and take a spiritual challenge? To be grateful, to, to consider God for who he is as I'm looking at my circumstances, my surroundings this week and thank him. And be in a church that worships God Recognizing who he is and how significantly far away, how vast he is and how insignificant or how small we are. Now listen, when we get, I think when we get a view of God, when we begin to see him as holy, as righteous, as just, as perfect, as everything that he is, it doesn't devalue us. 
It magnifies the movement that he made towards us. It magnifies his grace and his mercy and his love. And it should significantly increase our gratefulness, our worship of who he is this year. Would you be grateful just for the crumbs of Jesus this week? Yes, I want to be grateful. I want to worship God for who he is. Not for who I think he is. Or not for how I feel like he is this week. Father, thank you. Lord, I thank you that in Jesus, in the physical expression of yourself on earth, we see this beautiful picture of love and grace and, and obedience, of truth and grace combined perfectly and completely in him. Lord, we want to be people that worship you in spirit and in truth. We want to be people that worship you according to who you are. And Father, we want to be people that are grateful for what you've given us. I pray this week, Lord, that if, if for whatever point I believe I believe that I am more than, than I am or, or higher than I think I am or spiritually self-righteous, Father. I pray that you would humble me this week and help me to see you for who you are and help me to worship you for who you are. God, I pray the worship of our hearts would be a sweet, sweet, savory, savory smell and a beautiful word to your ear. Because we know you better. We understand who you are better. And our hearts are filled with thankfulness this week. In your name.